Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Holy Spirit, show us again the amazing love of our Savior Jesus, who has kept every promise you have made and has made us yours. In his name, amen. This past week, I saw a van driving in my neighborhood. That's one I'm familiar with. It's the Amazon van. Well, there's many of them, but I hadn't noticed before something else that was on the van. So I don't know if it was new or just my attention was uh, ready to, to pay attention more. But as one came through, maybe or maybe not to my house, I don't remember. Probably. There's the tag phrase that said, contents may cause happiness. Uh, Huh. Hmm. Depending on what I ordered, right? Do do, uh, new socks cause me happiness? I don't know. Do my multivitamin that arrives cause? I don't know. But you get the point, right? You can be happy by sitting at home and clicking with your thumb or with your finger and getting some things in two days or less from Amazon and your life is better. Hmm, maybe. Certainly some things do that to us for a time or, or improve our lives. Or, But I, I, my initial thought was, man, that's a bit of an oversell for knowing what people get from Amazon, right? Just contents may cause happiness. It's, it, okay. Well, as we're looking at counterfeit gods, that is, things that we can look at and say, well, this will finally make me happy forever. How long? That's, that was my real question was, okay, contents make us happiness. For how long? For, ooh, today something came. Great. Okay, uh, well, it's tomorrow. What else do I need to order so that the next day is better? And then, then it just keeps going, Right. Well, it has commonly been said that the church in America or North America is not growing but shrinking. And so nearly, it seems like every day, every week, every month, a new study comes out telling with a lot of doomsday statistics saying that American, and they usually use the language that Americans are getting less religious. And so as uh, churches since 1950, church attendance has dropped, church membership, all, all the signs, yes, it's true. Uh, At times, God's church shrinks and grows, and there are trials and and difficult times. Uh, And so, yes, by numbers, it looks like since 1950, church attendance in America has uh, declined a lot. And then now people talk about the rise of the nuns. That is, people that on a survey would say, I don't belong to anything. I'm not a Christian, I'm not Muslim, Buddhist, or uh, I'm, I'm nothing is what they would say. So you'll see the rise of the nuns is what they say. Now... Make no mistake, even if we have an empty church with, an empty, with empty pews and no people, it does not mean that we are getting less religious. We're just putting it in different places. And I would say in some ways, we look as a people, uh, as Americans, as Western, more religious. We, we look at sometimes even more uh, vigorous in our adherence to some things and belief that some things will make the world better. And so uh, I've had the conversation and seen uh, others as well that say, well, I used to go to church. I, I used to be a Christian or, I, you know, it's, I, I just don't anymore. And, you know, it, the important thing is it doesn't matter what you believe. 
okay. Question, does it matter how I vote? Well, yes. But that's based on things that I believe. Well, we have transferred our deepest hopes from God to other things. And it would be far easier just to say, look at those people over there who have, uh, don't come to church anymore and have transferred their deepest hopes into, say, politics or today, the, one of the other biggest substitute gods, love or romantic love. It would be really easy just to say, those people over there, they do that, but not me. I'm, I'm here today. But the truth is, for each and every one of us, even if we come and say, yes, Jesus, I need you, that sentence ends with the word daily. And Jesus, I am tempted to trust other things for my security and hope or that they will cause happiness for me forever and ever if I just have them get them some way. And if, it's, if we're looking for it somewhere other than Jesus, it will let you down. So yes, one of the, I would say, biggest substitute, counterfeit gods we look to today is love, romantic love. And we put, at times, God-like expectations on another person. How many, how many movies have a completely unrealistic plot of how you, somebody thinks of somebody else or how their life is going to be uh, transcendent if they are in a relationship with this other person, right? And people make sport out of kind of chuckling because they know it's not real. But you keep watching it because there's something deep in your heart that wants it to be. Or a, people thinking a certain kind of romantic encounter will be like a religious experience and make everything better. It's as if we really do, as the title of the book chapter suggests, we really do believe the Beatles were right that all we do need is love. But there's a certain kind to make that true, and that would be the love of Jesus. So today we meet Jacob, and you have Abraham, Isaac, the long-promised one, talked about them last week, and then Isaac had and Rebecca had two twins, Jacob and, oh good, some of you know this. And Isaac, it says, loved Esau more than Jacob. Esau was the outdoor, rugged, hunter type. And it says Jacob was, it says he was soft and stayed in the tent more. I don't know what all that means, but okay. But Jacob grew up then. If it's, if it's you know, if Moses knows the story by the time he's writing down Genesis, certainly everybody else knew that Jacob did not have the heart of his father like he would have wished. Jacob's also known, his name really means trickster in Hebrew, and he's known for that. He's known for being a swindler. And so what does he do? To his older brother, he first swindles him out of his birthright, that is his official order in the family, as firstborn. Esau was the firstborn, even though they're twins. Not by much, but yes. So he comes in hungry uh, from hunting and says, I'm, I need food, I'm going to die, give me something. And he says, well, only if you give me your birthright. He says, okay, fine, whatever. Secondly, his father, Isaac, was going to give Esau his father's final blessing near the end of his death. Now, this is directly against what God had said. God had said when they were born that the younger will serve the older. And so 
Isaac's going against God's word. Anytime we go against what God has said, we will cause pain and hurt and things get broken in, in the world and in our lives. And he does. He goes, he's going to bless Esau. Rebecca swindles around with Jacob and swindles the, the blessing, pretends to be his brother, putting like weird goat skin hair on him. It just sounds like a weird story, but it works. And then Esau's going to literally kill his brother. And so Jacob runs away. He runs away for his life. And so he never had his father's love. He had his mother's love. She was, he was her favorite, but now he, she's gone too, and he's on his own, and he goes far away to where he knows family is, Uncle Laban. And so Uncle Laban employs him as a shepherd, and he's good, so he's given more management as well. But what he really is interested to meet with Uncle Laban is his beautiful daughter, Rachel. And you can see right away, Jacob puts all of his hopes and all of his dreams in fixing everything that's ever gone wrong in his life will be right if I marry her. Now, first of all, it's hard for us to step back for a second and say, wait a second. This is Bible times, a long time ago, not written today as, as some steamy novel. Almost n- nobody married strictly first for love. You know that for most of world history, people did not marry. I know that sounds strange to us. It was not a first thought at all. Most every marriage was arranged in some form, and it had first other purposes, and love came later, yes, for societal stability between uh, families, for societal economy and, and workers, and absolutely couples commit their lives to each other and grow together in love. But, but what Jacob describes of Rachel is almost nowhere else in the Bible as this is why you would want to marry someone else. I know that seems outrageous to us, but guess what? I've known, and some of you have too, members of this church who were in arranged marriage. They moved away a number of years ago. They were in arranged marriage from another country. And they, I'll tell you, they are a perfectly happy couple, raising perfectly normal, smart, and successful children. Uh, it's just obviously very different to us. And first and foremost, marriage itself is God's idea. God's idea in a perfect world, creating everything the way it's supposed to be in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, is ends with a wedding of a man and a woman committing themselves to each other for a lifetime. That is, love and marital love itself is first and foremost good, and it is God's idea. But like all of these counterfeit gods we've talked about, it's when we take God's good blessing and then elevate it above God in the latter hierarchy of our hearts. And so Jacob, first, all the clues are there. The way he talks about Rachel is a bit strange, and you can see his idolatry, that if I just have her, it will solve everything in my life that's ever gone wrong. And Laban knew it. Uncle Laban knew that Jacob was vulnerable, and so the trickster got tricked. And some of the stories where I would say the Bible gets uh, very hard to to read and, and maybe to accept as well, but it's also honest. The Bible tells you honestly of a broken humanity, of very broken, sinful people. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't leave things out. It also doesn't say, 
uh, and God thought that this was good, it actually shows you in, unfortunately, some very graphic terms at times of the destruction and brokenness that do come when we say, God, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. So Laban knew that it would be hard for Leah to get married. The Bible says Rachel was very pretty, Leah wasn't. Uh, even though it wasn't first consideration, it was consideration. He wanted to marry somebody pretty. So he said, he's not, that's going to be a problem. Uh, and he doesn't have much family around. So what does he do? He says, well, hmm, ja- I can fool him. So first of all, Jacob overworks in the first place to saying, I'll, I'll work seven years to marry Rachel. Uh, some, some people say that was about four times more than he should have. So he's already worked four times. And uh, Laban just knows, I got this guy. Basically, if Laban has a garage sale, don't go. <laughs> if, if he's selling a car, don't buy it. You, <laughs> you will lose. <laughs> but about that, again, there's a lot of features here that can mislead or confuse. People get to, wait, he worked to have her. Does that mean she's, she's property and women are, are property? No. Still to this day... Countries, some that are represented even at the G20 conference, their culture includes a dowry or what gets called a dowry or a bride price. And it is not buying a woman as a piece of property. What's going on then? A few things. One, it is a way of honoring the family that raised this equal human being that you are going to commit your life to. So you're honoring the family. And also, they are losing a worker. They are losing an economic worker that contributes to the economy of their family and family business. And so you compensate them for losing a worker because she'll be joining your family. So that's what's going on here. Jacob works seven years, finally gets to marry Rachel. Life will be perfect. What happens? Again, weird story. At a wedding then, she would have been very heavily veiled, so you can't see her face at all. Laban knows, man, if, if, I, if I play this right, I know it seems really strange to us. There's also probably mucho wine. So, okay, Jacob, keep the wine coming to Jacob all night. Uh, and then, yeah, basically, absolutely switched and, and had him marry Leah instead. And so it says he wakes up in the morning and realizes, uh, this, I married Leah. He's like, man, what, what wild, sordid tale is this? Well, one... It's the Bible, so careful what you read your kids sometimes (laughs) in the right way. But what is going on here? Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean God thinks it's good or God approves or God wants it. What the Bible often shows is God's people making terrible decisions, going against what God has said, and God still showing that he will be loving and gracious and forgiving. And God says, I made a promise to Abraham, and boy, I'd... I'd really like to like not keep my promise based on all the screw-ups you guys have done. But God is who God is, and God keeps promises, and so he does. So we have to shortcut to the end here. If you read into Leah, her life is hard. Uh, Jacob favors her, or favors Rachel and not Leah, and, and she's lonely and hard. And it says she calls on God, and God heard her. God was kind to her. God, God, uh, and it even says, okay, and Rachel even then trusted, still had some foreign miniature gods with her. It's like, oh, man, come on, people. Leah trusts God, and God was kind to her. And Leah was given 
many more children. And most importantly, it says the promised Messiah will come through Leah's son, that is Judah. So one thing, for, if you read in her story, you say God is near to you who are, are lonely and broken and cast aside and feeling that way. God is near to you. And yes, people go against God's will, and, and it always causes hurt and pain and destruction. And Leah certainly felt that, but God was near to her and, and brought the Messiah through her. And also, God says, I will keep my promise to Adam and Eve, that is to crush the head of the serpent, the deceiver. That is, I will make things right through this descendant of Leah to come, and I will save all not only all of the messes you guys are making here in Genesis, but all of the ones we will make ever since. So what do we do with this to kind of wrap it up? One is this. May it always be said that love, romantic love, marriage, it's God's idea. It's from God's good character. It's God's doing. It's good. But it can't replace God. If you put all your hopes and dreams on another person, if it's not Jesus, they will let you down. They cannot bear the weight of your soul and your hopes and your expectations. You will crush them or they will crush you with them. Love is God's good gift, God's good blessing, but it can't replace God. And two, God loves you enough to keep his promises. When a lot of Genesis reads like uh, one sinner after another sinner after another sinner making mistake after mistake after mistake, because it is, you start to realize, wait, uh, I'm looking for the heroes here. and I'm looking for the people. Who am I supposed to be like in this story? The answer is nobody. Don't be like Jacob. <laughs> Don't be like Isaac. Look to the one that they needed to come and save and forgive them. The true love of the world is, is Jesus, who, by the way, was also not wanted and rejected by his own people. And yet, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whatever other things your heart and my heart will look to at times, can we see that simply as a sign of really wanting to know where our true hope is found? It's in Jesus. He is the one who, his arms are strong enough to hang on Calvary's cross for you, but they're also strong enough to, to carry your deepest longings and unfulfilled dreams and hopes. And Jesus, his heart is sensitive to your pain. He knows what you've been through. He knows if you're, you feel like you've been cast aside or unloved or lonely. Jesus knows, and he has come to bear the weight of you, body and soul. Yes, Jesus freely forgives every last one of your sins, just as he does Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of that. And again, each and every day, he invites you to trust in him alone.